I believe that every boy and girl should have the right to dream that one day they can all become what they would choose to be. I believe that every citizen, regardless of their skin, should have the right to live the dream of all Americans. I believe, I believe. fathers had faith and trust in God and paid the price for liberty by shedding their own blood. I believe that all believers should have the right to say this land was built on trust in God and that's the way it should stay. I believe, I believe. Thank you, choir, for parting the waters so I can come up here and <laughs> speak to everybody. <laughs> I 
We want to recognize uh, our veterans this morning. Yesterday was Veterans Day and it's wonderful uh, to be blessed to live in a nation that is free and uh, many of you as well as many others throughout our nation have paid the price for our freedom. So if you are a veteran of our armed services, would you please stand? If you're in the choir, just raise your hand so we can see you and uh, let's give these folks a round of applause for their service to our nation. Thank you very much. You may be seated. We're grateful for your service and uh, just wanted to share with you a couple of other things. We're going to pray for our nation uh, and for our veterans, but also as we pray this morning, we want to lift up uh, our Operation Christmas Child boxes that uh, this is the end gathering day for those. Many of you have prepared those. Those will be um, being shipped all over the world and we want the Lord to use those and the ministry that is behind them to spread the gospel of Christ around the world. And of course, also uh, last week, week there was a tragic event over at First Baptist Sutherland Springs, Texas and we want to be lifting up that church family this morning. But I tell you what, I've been very proud of Southern Baptist this week as I've watched the news and how we've taken care of our own. I'm sure you've seen the news where a donor is paying for that church to be raised and rebuilt and then also uh, for all the funerals to be taken care of and uh, from the North American Mission Board. And so that's a wonderful thing to see. I've never, I don't think that's ever happened before. Uh, and our leaders were there, Southern Baptist Convention President Steve Gaines, along with Executive Board uh, Director Frank Page, were there ministering for several days this week, um, and that's what it's all about, is standing beside one another, so we want to lift those up. You can be proud to be Southern Baptist this week. And um, just another word of announcement as we prepare to pray, um, beginning December 3rd, we're going back to one service. We'll still be in here, but we'll be in one service through December in preparation to move into, um, back into the sanctuary in January. <laughs> And so we're going to have extra chairs in here and we're going to cram together for uh, all of December. But the times will be back to our old times. Sunday school at 9, worship at 1015, starting December 3rd. We're calling it together for Christmas and it's going to be a great time. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father God, as we come together this morning as your church family, we have much on our hearts that we want to lift up to you. And Lord, first we want to say thank you. For those who have given of their uh, part of their lives to serve our nation and defend our freedom, Lord, especially for those in this room who have given uh, service to our nation and are giving service to our nation, Lord, thank you for them. Thank you for the sacrifices their families have made. Thank you for the sacrifice they themselves have made. And Lord, thank you for the freedom that they have secured for us. We are a blessed people because of the service of these men and women. And so, Lord, as we continue to move forward as a nation, we pray, God, that you would uh, defend our causes, that you would be with all of those currently serving in our military. Lord, scattered around the world, many of them in the middle of harm's way. And we pray, God, for your uh, protection of them. We know, Lord, that some of our members are, are deployed right now. And we pray, God, for your protection and grace to be upon them during their deployment. And God, we just pray that you bring them all back safely to us. Lord, we prayed this morning for our nation and we pray for revival when things happen such as happened last Sunday at a little unsuspecting church in, in a, a little town nobody's ever heard of until last Sunday. We know that, Lord, there are real difficult problems in our nation. And so, God, we pray for revival and awakening and we pray, God, that, that there would be an ending of this kind of senseless violence 
And Lord, that you would bring about change and transformation in people's lives. Lord, thank you for the great testimonies that are coming out of such uh, tragedy. We know, Lord, that you uh, can take uh, horrific circumstances and use it for the advancement of the kingdom, that what Satan means for evil, you can use for good. Through what happened last week, and we pray, Lord, that it would continue, that, Lord, you would do an incredible work even in that community and the surrounding communities through this. Lord, be with the families that are grieving, uh, multiplied more than we even want to think about. We pray, Lord, for your comfort that you'll give them. And we pray for that pastor who's serving a church um, that is experiencing so much loss and grief, and he's experiencing that in his own family as well. We pray, Lord, also this morning for our Operation Christmas Child Boxes. Lord, as we extend hope and the message of Jesus Christ around the world, Lord, these kids are going to be getting boxes of all kind of goodies that we found them. But Lord, when they do, they're going to hear about the saving power of Jesus Christ. And we pray for all of the missionaries connected with Samaritan's Purse who will be offering uh, that word of hope. And we pray, Lord, for transformation to take place in children and parents' lives all around the world this Christmas season. God, we thank you so much for your presence with us. Lord, as we continue to worship today, may we encounter you. And when we leave here, may we know that we have met with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
today, I must decrease so that he increases. That's our prayer today. Amen. We sing to the Lord. The only way that we do that is by exalting Jesus as Savior and Lord today and worshiping God the King. So would you join us as we sing together? Let's sing to Yahweh, the Lord Jehovah today. Add your name. Join us as we sing. Add your name, the mountains shake and tremble. Add your name, the oceans roar and tumble. Add your name, angels will bow.
his name today. Amen. We sing to him. We lift his praise. All hail the power of Jesus. Sing that phrase again. Jesus. 
Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, for the blessings that you give us, for the privilege that you give us to live in a country where we are free and we are free to worship you because of the men and women who gave their lives in sacrifice that we might live free. Much like you who sacrificed your son so that not only we could live free, but we could enjoy eternal life. Bless us now in this service. Help us to open our hearts that we may hear your word. And as always, may our offerings reflect our love for you. In Christ's name, amen.
Jesus, I'd rather have him than anything. As I go on through life with him, there can be no other way. I want Jesus. Thank you guys for that great music this morning. In September, I received an email from uh, Dr. Dan Crawford, one of my former seminary professors. And Dr. Crawford was preparing to speak to a group of elders in a church whose pastor was retiring after 30 years in ministry there at that same church. And Dr. Crawford was emailing me along with 30 other former students to ask if you were going to a new church as a pastor, especially where there had been a long-term and greatly loved pastor, what would you wish someone would have told the leaders before you arrived? Dr. Crawford was asking that question because typically the guy who follows the long-term pastor becomes a sacrificial lamb, meaning he gets slaughtered. What should those church leaders do to help the new pastor succeed? How do they handle the sunset of their beloved pastor's ministry while celebrating the sunrise of their new pastor? Well, the 30 of us former students shared a variety of ideas with Dr. Crawford, most of which had to do with celebrating the past while also looking forward to a bright future. In the gospel account that we read today, we encounter the transition from the ministry of John the Baptist to the ministry of Jesus. And the story actually reminds us that ministry transitions weren't any easier then than they are 2,000 years later. And so if you haven't already, turn in your copy of God's Word to John chapter 3, verses 22 through 36. As we encounter this sunset of John the Baptist's ministry, I want you to be thinking about the transitions you face in life. All of us face transitions with which we have to deal. Uh, Old minister to new minister or old pastor to new pastor, as that church Dr. Crawford was asking about. Uh, Old coach to new coach. Old boss to new boss. But sometimes we are the ones who are making the transition ourselves. We're the one experiencing a sunset while someone else is experiencing a sunrise. And all of us, regardless of our age, actually experience these transitions and how we make them is important. For instance, children and students experience sunsets. When a child moves from one grade level to the next, and especially when you move from elementary to junior high or junior high to high school or high school to college, there is a 
sunset that occurs. Uh, you can feel like you're fading from the scene, in fact. You can graduate at the top of the class, be the leader of the school, the captain of the team, and next year, someone takes your place. In fact, you can't even wear your letter jacket anymore. Suddenly, there's a sunset. I remember going back to uh, my elementary and junior high school uh, while I was in college. And I was standing a few feet away from where my name is on the wall as a great student of old in that school. And I was talking to the people in the office and they had no clue who I was. <laughs> the sun had set. <laughs> Uh, the same happens in high school, college, and life. And some remember you, some forget you, but everyone quickly moves on. It can be hard to see the new quarterback getting the attention you used to get. Or the new salesman getting the kudos you used to receive. Or the, uh, the new teacher celebrated as the most effective. Or the new doctor deemed as the most cutting edge no matter your age, no matter your field, no matter how big you are now and how bright your light now, the sun will eventually set. And you need to know how to react when that happens. So we're going to encounter John the Baptist's reaction to the sunset of his ministry today. And interestingly, this is the last appearance of John the Baptist in the gospel. He's mentioned briefly one other time, but this is the only time he really plays a role. And after this, he fades from the scene. It's all Jesus from then on. So let's begin by getting the situation by looking at verses 22 through 26. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized now, John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water and people were constantly coming to be baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who is with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, well, he is baptizing, and everyone is going to him. Now, apparently, after the Passover and after all the events that we read about over the last couple of weeks, while Jesus was still in the region of Judea, he and his disciples continued ministering to people, and Jesus located at Anon along the Jordan River. And Jesus must have spent some time teaching his disciples, preaching to people who came to them, and Jesus and or his disciples were baptizing the people. Now, John the Baptist was still just a couple of miles north at Salim carrying out his ministry. And there's a little side note on verse 23. We read that there was plenty of water. That's one of our Baptist verses right there because baptism was by immersion, right? If they had to have plenty of water, why else would you put that kind of note? So that's one of the notes that we go to there. But how someone was being baptized or how someone was baptizing wasn't the issue of discussion among John's disciples. The issue was that someone else was baptizing in the first place. 
It seems that somehow some of John's disciples came in contact with some of Jesus' disciples and an argument about ceremonial washing came up and that fired up John's disciples. They come to him exasperated. Verse 26 sounds like a very tense board meeting. Rabbi, that man who is with you on the other side of the Jordan, the, the one you testified about, well, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. What we have here is a turf war. <laughs> John's disciples are feeling the crunch of competition. The church down the street is on the rise and they are on the decline. Now, I bet John's disciples saw their crowds dwindling day by day. At first, it might not have been all that recognizable and noticeable, but then it became increasingly so. And perhaps they walked the few miles south and found some of their former followers now gathered listening to Jesus, along with a whole bunch of brand new disciples. And as they looked around, they saw the writing on the wall. They could tell their ministry was fading Chuck Swindoll titles this passage, The Priest Who Lost His Congregation, or The Preacher Who Lost His Congregation. The situation was obvious. The sun was setting on John's ministry, so what should they do? Well, in verse 26, we see what John's ministry leaders kind of thought they should do. In fact, their first instinct was to do what so many people do when they feel threatened, and that is cast doubt on the new guy. I mean, that's what's behind them calling Jesus that man, right? That man is over there baptizing. Doesn't that sound like us today? A new pastor's effective in town. We don't call him Pastor John. We call him that man. <laughs> A new coach comes in and the boosters of the old coach call him that man. That's their first instinct. Cast doubt on the new guy. Their second instinct is to exaggerate the results. Everyone is going to him. Everyone goes to that church now. Everyone loves that new principal. Everyone is leaving that company for the other one. Everyone. Exaggerated results. So let's review John's disciple strategy. Cast doubt on the new guy. Exaggerate the results. Oh, and don't forget, blame the old guy. That's their third instinct. Do you see it? That man, the one you testified about, they're blaming John. Rabbi, that guy you told everyone about and said how unworthy you were to untie his sandals, well, everyone believed you. <laughs> and preacher, giving is down, attendance is down, and it's all your fault. <laughs> Interesting how that happens to old ministers, to new ministers, to in-between ministers, to old principals, new principals, in-between principals, to old coaches, new coaches, in-between coaches. Any problem we have is your fault, boss. <laughs> and as John's disciples see the sun setting on John's ministry, they struggled. And their strategy was to cast doubt on the new guy, to exaggerate the results and to blame the old guy. But what about John? 
how does John the Baptist respond? Does he ramp up advertising? Uh, does he attend a conference on new trends in river ministry? Does he contemporize himself by throwing aside the camel hair and putting on some skinny jeans? How does John respond? Well, what we are about to see him do is what we are to do when we encounter a spark of conflict. Are we to throw gasoline on a spark of conflict or are we supposed to throw water on a spark of conflict? We throw water, right? And that's just what John the Baptist does. He throws cold water on his inflamed disciples which quenches their conversation and their competitive spirit. And as we walk through John's reaction, notice three lessons that he gives us in response to the sunset of his ministry. And these are things you and I can apply as we go through sunsets ourselves. So first, when sunsets occur, you need a Godward viewpoint. Listen carefully to John in verse 27. John says... A man can receive only what is given him from heaven. John reminds his disciples that God is in charge, not people. All ministry and blessing come from God, so there can be no competition. If anyone is displaying gifts superior to yours and having greater success than you are, it's because God has given those to him or to her. You may not like it. You may not want to take that view. But that is the viewpoint you must have when you evaluate the success of others. There's a fine line between healthy competition and friendly banter and jealousy. You need competition. It keeps you active and fresh. It, it helps you work hard to be innovative, to press on. But if that tips over into envy and jealousy, you're in dangerous territory. Because jealousy comes when we lose what we have to someone else, which is often what happens in a sunset. But envy comes when we want what someone else has. Jealousy starts with full hands and they empty. Envy starts with empty hands that want to be filled. Chuck Swindoll writes this way. Envy often rears its ugly head when one of our peers is promoted. When a newcomer passes us up on the way up the corporate ladder. When we're a senior on the bench and a sophomore is in the starting lineup. When a new business sprouts up and overshadows ours overnight. Envy's evil twin tags along with lo when loyalties shift, when close friends abandon us for others, when retirement comes and our authority is handed to a replacement. Like muggers in a dark alley, envy and jealousy wait to do us in, to rob us of our joy, work us over, and leave our spiritual lives for dead. We have to watch becoming jealous and envy and too often we tip over into envy and jealousy we want to blame another person's success on special privileges or favors that they received or that they just knew the right people but John the Baptist reminds us a person can only receive what's given him from heaven therefore when we feel those tendencies of envy and jealousy coming on we've got to stop 
and realize that we're seeing things from a human viewpoint. And we've got to make a shift to view all things from a Godward viewpoint. Further, when we ourselves are succeeding, when we're the ones experiencing the sunrise, when things are clicking along and when we begin to think ourselves great and ourselves talented and ourselves worthy of everything that's coming our way, we need to make the shift to view things from a Godward viewpoint and not a human viewpoint. You must evaluate your success and the success of others by remembering what John says. A person cannot receive anything that does not come from God. John the Baptist refused to be controlled by jealousy and envy. Don't let them happen to you either. When a sunset occurs, have a Godward viewpoint. Second, when a sunset occurs, you need a joyful attitude. Look at verse 28. You yourselves can testify that I said, I'm not the Christ, but I am sent ahead of him. You say, John says, yeah, guys, I did testify about that man. But I also told you that I am not the Christ. I am only sent ahead of him. Don't make me into more than I am. My job is to prepare the way for the Messiah. And when he comes, I'm supposed to point the way to him and then get out of the way. Yes, guys, our work has been important. All work is important in the kingdom of God, but only one work is preeminent, and his work is the one that's preeminent. John was teaching his disciples how to have a joyful attitude when a sunset comes. Joy comes from being obedient, not from getting glory. It's about the bigger picture. God uses all of us for his glory. We're, we all have our season. We all have our purpose. And so what John experienced is nothing new. Maybe he knew that. In fact, two more of the greatest men in the Bible faced this problem of comparison and competition from their followers and had to teach their followers how to have a joyful attitude because of the bigger picture. One of them's in the Old Testament. One of them came after John the Baptist in the New Testament. The one in the Old Testament is Moses. Moses encountered a similar situation among his followers when a competitive spirit surfaced regarding two upstart prophets. In Numbers chapter 11, verses 26 to 30, we read this account. Two men whose names were Eldad and Medad had remained in the camp, and they were listed among the elders but did not go out to the tent. Yet the spirit also rested on them, and they prophesied in the camp. A young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, who had been Moses' aide since youth, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. But Moses replied, Are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Then Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. Moses handled the sunset with a joyful attitude. All these other people were freaking out. And Moses just said, I wish everyone else was a prophet. Later in the New Testament period, a few decades later, after John the Baptist's ministry, Paul encountered a similar issue. He wrote about it in Philippians chapter 1 where he says this, It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in change. But what does it matter? 
The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Paul handled the situation of competition and comparison with a joyful attitude. What does it matter as long as Christ is preached? There's a bigger picture. To help his followers understand the joyful attitude they should have during a sunset, John the Baptist next uses an illustration that would have been readily understood by uh, his disciples but could be lost on us. Let's look at it in verse 29. He says, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. The friend who attends the groom there was similar to our best man, but had a very unique role in a Jewish wedding. A best man today really has very few responsibilities. Um, he makes a toast, maybe. He, um, maybe he decorates the groom's car. He holds the ring. Maybe he lets the bride sit on his knee while the groom removes the garter. That's pretty much it. But in the first century, in a Jewish wedding, this friend of the groom had a very important job. He acted as a liaison between the bride and the groom. He arranged the wedding. He took out... Uh, the invitations. He presided at the wedding feast. He brought the bride and bridegroom together. And then he had one other special duty. After the bride would go to the bridal chamber, the best man stood guard of the bridal chamber until the groom came. And only when he heard the groom's voice in the dark did he step aside. And that's when he rejoiced. He rejoiced because the lovers were together to consummate their relationship. He knew that his only task had been to bring the bride and the bridegroom together. And then he willingly and gladly faded out of the center of the picture. He brought them together. And once that was complete, he celebrated. He didn't wish he had the bride instead of his buddy. He high-fived his buddy and went on with his life. He had an attitude of joy. And that's what John's saying here. He waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. That's the kind of attitude that we need to have when a sunset happens. When our job ends, okay, high fives to the new guy and know your job is done. Get out of the way. Let God do, <clears throat> excuse me, as he pleases. I can promise you, what he pleases is far more effective than what pleases you. John knew his job was to prepare the way, then get out of the way. So you do that as well. When the sunset occurs, have a joyful attitude. But also when sunsets occur, you need an expectant outlook. Look at verses, verse 30. It is a classic and memorable verse. Kevin already stated it this morning. He must become greater. I must become less. It's a fairly simple thought, isn't it? He must become greater. I must become less. And both of those, becoming greater and becoming less, are good things if they are part of God's plan. You know, every day sunsets occur. And they're beautiful. We have friends in Texas who try to see that sunset every day 
on their ranch. When Rebecca and I were in Colorado, we made sure that we saw every sunset as it went down behind the mountains and we took pictures. Sunsets are beautiful. A day is done. We can thank God for that day. So don't look at a sunset as a bad thing even in your life. But also don't look at the sunrise of another as a bad thing either. I don't know many of us that get up early enough to watch the sunrise every day, but I know Lynn Cavanaugh does. <laughs> he says he just loves the excitement of that new day and there's an expectant attitude that goes along with sunrises. What does this day hold? What opportunities does, does God have for me? And Lynn has captured some absolutely gorgeous sunrises from his porch. In fact, he posted one this morning on Facebook. John wanted his disciples to have an expectant attitude of what the new day held. Their ministry was important, but the sun was setting on it. And a new day was dawning. For the sun to rise on that new day was to be a good thing. So don't begrudge the sunset because it's welcoming in a sunrise. Give thanks for the former day and look with expectancy towards the new day. He must become greater. I must become less. It's a priceless picture in humility. You know, we always want to win first place. I mean, we're taught that. Be the greatest. Be the top. Be first. But there's a time when second place is actually best place. And that's any time Jesus comes around. He must become greater. I must become less. When we maintain humility, we draw attention to Christ instead of ourselves. In verses 31 to 35, John the Baptist gives a doctrinal statement on the person of Christ. He exalts his greatness. Look at it there as he just boosts him up. He says, the one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth. It speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. The man who has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. And there at the end of that doctrinal exaltation is where John offers an invitation. He extends an altar call there in verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life. For God's wrath remains on him. I wonder today, have you believed in the Son? It doesn't matter if you're experiencing a sunrise or a sunset right now in your life. Eventually, you will experience a final sunset. Your life will come to an end and eternity will be before you. And while we can't determine what tomorrow will be like for us here on earth, we do have the opportunity to determine what eternity will be like for us. For there's a choice that's before us and that is to accept Christ and receive the blessings that he offers through salvation or to reject Christ and receive God's wrath. Choose Christ and enjoy the glory of heaven or reject Christ and endure the horror of hell. Those are the only two choices out there. And Christ made a way for us to be able to make that choice. And he's, he hopes that we will choose him for he loves us 
And he gave himself for us. But you have to make the choice. You have to be willing to become less so he can become greater. You have to be willing to step aside so that he can become the Lord of your life. So I encourage you, won't you make that choice today? If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, won't you make today the day of salvation? In just a few moments, we're going to stand and sing a song of invitation. And I would encourage you to just step out to the aisle, come forward and say, Pastor Stewart, I'm trusting Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior today. I'm going to follow him with my life. There may be others of us here today who uh, need to come and pray and lift up to the Lord. Uh, maybe a sunset's occurring. Maybe a sunrise is occurring. And we want to make sure that we make the best of whatever God's doing in our lives. And so I'd encourage you to come and to pray. You can pray at, by yourself or you can come and pray with me. I'd be happy to do that. But after we pray, we're going to stand and sing and have this time of invitation. I pray that you'll do business with the Lord as we do. May we pray together. Lord, we come before you this morning. And we know, Lord, that your word is clear and true. And we thank you, Lord, for this instruction today on how to deal with sunrises and sunsets. And Lord, I pray for those this morning who have yet to trust you as their Lord and Savior. I pray, Lord, that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, we give ourselves to you. You must become greater. We must become less. Do that in us this morning is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.